Thank you for joining us and for listening to our podcasts. We hope that this may enrich your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to share with you at this point an indisputable sign for the timing of the resurrection and rapture. It's very clear in the Bible. This is one more uh, issue that one more passage and uh, passages that uh, will show us for sure how to know when the Lord is returning, not the day of the hour. Let's go to Zechariah chapter 14. For those who aren't really used to the Bible, that's the next to the last book in the Old Testament. It's just before Matthew in the New. Zechariah 14. Theologians have said that Zechariah, or Zechariah, uh, I'm, I'm mixing Spanish with it. Uh, Zechariah is the most apocalyptic book in the Old Testament. That means the most end time book. Zechariah is an amazing prophet. I would not say that it's the most apocalyptic. For me, just about, well, basically every book is apocalyptic. Because the Lord's heart is, has been in his marriage from the beginning. So it comes out, you know, like any person that's enamorado, um, in love. <laughs> Anyone who's in love, they talk about it all the time, right? Keeps popping out wherever they are. Well, that's the way it is with the Lord. You know, we were made like him. And so a lot of ways, good ways, we, we do the same things in the good side. And so Zechariah is a really end time book. But it's also, it's a book that reveals the first coming and the second coming. I mean, Zechariah reveals how much Jesus was sold for. I mean, that's pretty awesome. And other details about the first coming that are amazing. But he reveals a lot about the second coming, and chapter 14 is only about the end. Chapter 14, 1 through 4, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. And all through the Bible, the day of the Lord is not Sunday. Some people have come to that conclusion. I even believed that when I was young. The day of the Lord, that's Sunday. <laughs> the day of the Lord is the thousand years. The day of the Lord is, starts when he comes physically. That's when it's his day. The day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, 
he is doing it. And the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished. This, is, this just happened with the Hamas, but not all of it. And half of the city, and again, Jerusalem, that's like Washington, Moscow, London, Jerusalem. The Bible, the Lord uses Jerusalem. I mean, simple proof. Often he would say Jerusalem and Samaria. What's he talking about? He's talking about the kingdom in the south, the kingdom in the north. They're going to take all of Israel, not just the city. Half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. There will be a remnant. Then shall the Lord go forth. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall rem remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. And ye shall flee to the valley of the, uh, of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azel. Yea, ye shall flee like as you fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee. And from that verse on, he sets up his earthly kingdom. All the nations have to go up every year to worship the Lord at the Feast of, the tab of Tabernacles, or else they get no rain. Well, <clears throat> the first couple of verses, three verses, let us know that Israel will be conquered just before the coming of the Lord. And then he comes and fights for them. The Bible makes it clear, a small remnant will survive what the Muslim world will do to them. It's not Europe. I, again, final victory. It's the Muslim nations around Israel. Actually, the nations are enumerated. The ten horns are enumerated in Psalm 83. They're all Muslim nations. Uh, Zechariah doesn't give any time between how long it'll take the Lord to come once Israel falls. But Revelation 11.2 does. Jerusalem will be trodden underfoot of the, by the Gentiles for 42 months, three and a half years. So from the time that Israel falls until the coming of the Lord will be three and a half years. <clears throat> Paul gives us the key to knowing when the Lord will come. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 
or chapter 4, if we start in verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Remember, the last trump. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, the word is comfort here, but the word actually is exhort. Exhort one another, because it's time to get ready. And as we share in the study of Revelation, Daniel and Revelation, I can guarantee you that not all Christians will go in the rapture contrary to the popular doctrine. If you just name the name of Jesus and you're a babe in Christ, you will go in the rapture. That's the doctrine. It's not true. There are qualifications to go in the resurrection or the rapture. The qualifications are the same. And they're pretty high. But the goal is not the rapture. The rapture for the church has become the golden calf. It's their hope, their deliverer, the answer to their problems. The rapture. No, no. God's the goal. He's the only hope. And do you know, if you miss the rapture because you haven't had time to grow up and fulfill the qualifications, there's no problem if you're seeking the Lord. You'll be in the midst of Armageddon. Armageddon is not bad for the godly. It's only going to be bad for those who have followed their own lusts and desires. It's a time of clearing out the wicked. Armageddon is not one or two days. We don't have time to study this, but you can look at, get the courses on Daniel and Revelation from uh, Hebrew Ministries. The Battle of Armageddon, I'm sure this will, some of you will say, no, 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 that can't be. Yes, it can be because it's an example of what Paul said the journey of Israel is to Canaan land is an example for us in the end. The battle to conquer the inheritance took an entire generation. And the Lord made it clear to us and to them, he's not giving us the earth in one year. It's a battle that will be for a generation 25 years, more or less. But it's going to be glorious for those who love the Lord. The Lord will be here. The grace will be enormous for those who have been seeking God. For those who haven't, all we can say is, whoa, whoa, whoa. Amen. First Thessalonians chapter... Four tells us he's talking about the rapture and the resurrection and at the last he doesn't say the last trump but that's what it is from the other two scriptures we've already seen then he goes on to say but 
of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Then, as we shared with you, verse 4, But ye, brethren, are not in, the dar- in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. <clears throat> you are all children of light, and the children of, of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. But what happens between verse 2 and verse 4? He's telling us we know the times and the seasons. Verse 3 is the key. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Who's he talking about? Well, Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 30 and we'll find out. The vision in chapter 30 is summarized in the last verse of the chapter. This is the key to knowing what he's talking about. Verse 24. The fierce anger of the Lord shall not return until he, until he have done it and until he have performed the in, intents of his heart. In the latter days ye shall consider it or understand it. In the latter day, in the end, you're going to understand this vision. And here is the main part of the vision. Let's look at verse 6 and 7. Ask ye now, and see whether a man doth travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail? And all faces are turned into paleness. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. The great tribulation, time that's never been like it in the history of humanity. And it goes on to say that, you know, Jacob will be saved. Verses 10 and 11. But, verse 11, he'll make a full end, not of Israel, but he makes a full end of every nation where the Jews have lived. That's pretty amazing, right? And they've lived in every nation on earth, basically. Does that mean everyone dies in Armageddon? No. It means there will be no 
Mexico, no U.S., no Guatemala, no France, no Germany. Um, there's only going to be one nation, the United Kingdom of Israel, <laughs> with Jesus Christ as the head. Can you imagine? That's going to be wonderful, isn't it? So he doesn't mean he's going to kill everyone. It means he's going to end all the, all the Gentile authority in nations. I mean, uh, power. Amen. So it's Israel, Jacob, who's going to have travail like a woman in birth. And they will not escape. It's going to be disaster. And we're already seeing it right now as... A, a very beginning scenario. Amen? Daniel chapter 12. Remember... Jesus said that when the abomination of desolation occurs, then they were to flee instantly, right? And we shared with you that the abomination of desolation in Daniel 11.31 to the end of that chapter and 12.1 is the Gentiles taking control of the Holy Land. And that when the, that abomination occurs in the holy place, which Daniel says the holy land, <coughs> Jerusalem, when that occurs, the Lord says there will be great tribulation like never. Well, look where he got it from. He said he's talking about Daniel. Look at the last verse in chapter 11. And this little horn shall plant the tabernacles of his palace. That means headquarters, the government, right? The palace is where the government is. Tabernacles is the dwelling place. Between the seas in the glorious holy mountain. And he already told us that that's Jerusalem. Yet he shall come to his end and none shall help him. And at that time, exactly what Jesus has said. Now listen to what he, what he says is next. Michael shall stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time 
And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, everyone that is found written in the book of life, in the book, in the book, which is the book of life. It's exactly what Jesus said. When you see the abomination in the holy place, then there will be great tribulation. That's what happens here. Verse 45 is the abomination in the holy mountain. Gentile, the wicked, it's, it's a wicked army. It's wicked people. And then the greatest tribulation in the history of mankind. Then, after that, many, verse two, 2, many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, resurrection, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. <clears throat> Remember, and this is pretty often the case in the Bible, in the prophetic message, in the day, what happens in the day of the Lord, in the thousand years. Well, the righteous rise in the first resurrection, right? And at the end of the day of the Lord, thousand years, the wicked also rise. And some of the righteous who weren't ready to reign. Okay? It's um, the same with Peter. You know, Peter's talking about the day of the Lord in a thousand years over in Second Peter chapter 3, and he said, you know, we need to seek the Lord because the earth, in the day of the Lord, the earth is going to melt with fervent heat. It's going to be burned up, and everyone on it, it's not a Christian, not a believer, not a follower of the Lord. But wait a minute, go to Revelation, and you see that the earth is burned up at the end of the day of the Lord, the end of the thousand years. You understand? So that's what's happening here. But the, the issue is the resurrection of the righteous occur at the beginning of the kingdom. Okay? So here we have two amazing things. We have the greatest tribulation ever, and then we have the resurrection of the righteous, and then after that, the, of the wicked. Verse of Daniel, verse 5 then I, Daniel, looked and beheld, and behold, there stood other two, the one on this side of the bank of the river and the other on the, uh, that side of the bank of the river. And the one said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, how long shall it be to the end of these wonders. Well, if you look at this chapter, there are really only two wonders. May, the, the two major wonders here is verse 1, the greatest tribulation ever, and verse 2, the resurrection from the dead. They are two amazing things, two wonders. And how long shall it be? How long will the great tribulation be? We already know. But Daniel confirms it very clearly. 
And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever, it shall be for a time, times, and in half. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, and chapter 9 says that's Israel, that's the people that went into Babylonian captivity and then were restored. When he shall have accomplished or succeeded in scattering the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. So Israel has to be totally conquered and then the rapture it will all occur within three and a half years. How do we know that time times and half a time is three and a half years? Anyone know? Hmm? Revelation. Yeah, Revelation 12 defines it. Defines three and a half years as time times and half a time and then uh, specifies that it's three and a half years. Okay? So there is a, here we have indisputable, an indisputable sign for the timing of the coming of the Lord. Israel is already beginning to fall. I said at the beginning of this seminar, the battle with Hamas that's occurring right now isn't the end, but it is the beginning of the end. It's going to get worse and worse. It could be it could turn into the end of Israel if all the other nations around decide they're going to join in and attack Israel. Israel knows they won't stand. You know, I was going to mention to you, it's the Israelites, the Jews that are hated so much for really no reason except that they're so blessed. Yeah, there's bad Jews, but aren't there bad Gentiles? Just a few. <laughs> every, every race has some bad apples. But there are a few races that are so amazingly positive and good. First of all, they take care of the terrorists that get wounded, hurt, killing their own children. I mean, they killed 40 infants, chopped off about half of their heads. And here they are paying the price to have these absolute the scum of the earth in their hospitals with the, with the victims. It's beyond me. But there's something else. I mean, Israel gets attacked Oh, basically, it's still just every, every few hours they get another terrorist attack. Do you know that Israel has the power to wipe out the entire Middle East and then the rest of the world? The atomic bombs they have, the missiles, the, the incredible technology, they could just wipe everyone out. When we were living in Israel, I said to a man who was pretty high up in the military, 
Israeli uh, military, IDF. You've heard of that, IDF? It's not the Israeli Defense Forces. That's what people who don't know call it. It is the Israel Defense Forces, not the Israeli. Okay, just so now you know and you won't make that mistake. Because if you say Israeli Defense Forces, anyone that is involved with Israel or has been there, mm, you don't know too much about Israel. <laughs> Israel Defense Forces. He was high up and I said to him, well, Shimon, the Palestinians are really a problem for us, aren't they? He said, what? The Palestinians? We could wipe them out in a day going in reverse. <laughs> but then the world would turn against us. Israel could wipe out all the Muslim nations around them that continually attack them with terrorism and evil. They could wipe all, all those nations in a day. They've got the arms to do it. But Israel is more merciful, loves life, wants to do what's right. I mean, what meekness. They gave Jericho. They gave Hebron. They gave the Gaza, Gaza Strip to the enemies. That's meekness. Who among us would do that? So let's not be critical. We all deserve to be judged, don't we? But there is an indisputable, undeniable sign of when the Lord will come. When Israel is conquered, you can put it on your chart, on your calendar, three and a half years later. We don't know the day or the hour, but three and a half years later, the Lord will descend on the Mount of Olives. And here will be one of the great problems for millions of Christians who have been taught that the Antichrist is going to make a covenant of peace with Israel and then they will build their temple. He knew what he was the Antichrist, Satan knew what he was inventing. Imagine this. The church is expecting a meek lamb. The Lord Jesus coming as a lamb in his meekness and humility. Well, the Bible says when he comes, he's going to wipe out those ten nations that are going to devastate Israel. I, did, I didn't say it. The Bible says it clearly in Revelation. Okay? Those ten nations are going to make Israel, that, that bride, naked, bare, destroyed, humiliated. And then he's going to wipe out ten nations. Now imagine, I don't think that the blood will run to the horse's bridle literally. I think that's a saying that was translated literally from the Greek. 
it means there's going to be a lot of blood. So imagine, the world goes crazy. Even believers go crazy if Israel accidentally kills one civilian as they try to stop the enemy from continual attacking, continually attacking. Isn't that true? The news media and even Christians, oh, that was terrible. They used too much force. Well, CNN isn't going to be on the Mount of Olives when Jesus descends. <laughs> but what's going to happen is we're going to have news that some, the news will say it something like this, that some wild man has appeared on the scene in Israel. And he's, the Israel, Israelites are saying, or Israelis are saying, it's their Messiah. And there won't be many of them left. It's their Messiah. And he's killing millions of people. Millions in all those nations in the Middle East. And besides that, Israel's taking control of all the oil fields of the whole Middle East. Hmm. Minor problem. And then when he's killed all those millions, of course he'll save those who repent. But re Muslims are really hard to convince. So when he's killed millions, comes to Israel and makes peace in Israel. And then he begins to build the temple. The Bible says he will. What will Christians say? Hmm? What do you think? They'll say the same that the Jews said in the first coming. It's Beelzebub. It's the Antichrist. We knew this was going to happen. We knew that the Antichrist would kill a lot of people and bring a false peace to Israel. And this is a really false peace. All those dead civilians, poor little innocent civilians. And now, just as the scripture has taught us, no, your interpreters have taught you. The Antichrist and the Jews are building the temple. We know he's Beelzebub. It's going to be serious. We need, that's why a third of the Bible is about the end time. We need to understand it. And a, a way to understand it is do what the Lord spoke to me 50 some years ago in the Philippines. Lay aside your own preconceived ideas and come to the, to the Lord in humility. Say, Lord, what do you say? And what does the Bible say? That's why I told you, take a piece of paper and write Read Genesis to Revelation and write down everything you see that will happen. Clearly it says this will happen in the last days. Tell, write it down and put the reference. If you do that one or two, three times, you're going to have a pretty good idea of what's going to happen in the end. And I, I won't need to give a seminar about it. <laughs> I'm serious. And I've done it for... 50 some years and try to read the scripture every year. 
every time I read through the Bible, I add more references, not just about the end, but about faith and love and Armageddon and tribulation and eternal security. And there are always more scriptures that suddenly pop out. Oh, I never noticed that. <laughs> you, you know what that's like, right? Amen. So you, we have an absolute certainty. When Israel falls, there's only three and a half years more. And I said a year and eight months ago, in this place, in the seminar about the first part of the end time calendar, that I find it hard to believe that Israel will survive till 2026. That would be Daniel's dates using, using seven weeks from the decree, the command to build, to restore Jerusalem, restore Israel. Seven weeks, 49 years, then a 30-year delay, three and a half years to 2030. That would be Daniel's time. But contrary to what most Christians believe, that most people say, well, the prophecies in the Bible have to be fulfilled. If you believe that, maybe someday you'll get to ask Jonah if that's true. <laughs> uh, Jonah would not agree with that idea. He got prophecies straight from the mouth of the Lord, and then they weren't fulfilled. And that got him very upset. Jonah was still fighting with the Lord at the end of the book. I, I, I'm pretty sure he made it to heaven, but... <laughs> he was really upset that God didn't do what he said he was going to do. But um, Jeremiah 18 explains how that works. We won't go into that. Uh, so we get to Revelation, the harlot. I just want to mention this. That saying Rome, that Rome is the harlot. First of all, it says that the harlot is guilty of all the blood of the saints and prophets shed on the earth. Okay, in Revelation. Jesus says in Matthew 23 that Jerusalem is guilty of all the blood of the prophets and saints shed upon the earth. How can you have two different cities guilty of all the blood shed? He didn't say Rome, he said Jerusalem. Actually, to say that Rome is the harlot is an abomination to God. And it's an affront to the Lord. Why? Well, let's suppose for a moment that in the entire world history, there have only been two martyrs. John Doe, you know what that means, right? Just so, and nobody, unknown, not bad, but just unknown. John, John Doe was a martyr in Rome. And Jesus was a martyr in Jerusalem. Which city's more guilty? What do you think? 
or Jesus answers it, he says, Capernaum will be worse off in the judgment than Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? <clears throat> because they had a perfect witness and they rejected him. Sodom and Gomorrah had a very poor witness, Lot, <clears throat> flowed along with them. Well, let's put three martyrs on the scale. <clears throat> three martyrs in Rome and only Jesus in Jerusalem. Now which city is guilty? Hmm? Why Jerusalem? Well, all they did was kill the Creator. <laughs> all they did was kill the Son of God. I mean, what's so important about that? Well, the Bible says in Isaiah 40, verse 17, all the nations of the earth together to the Lord, to the Father, are less than nothing. <laughs> what are they? I don't care how many martyrs you put on the scale over here in Rome. It's an abomination to say they weigh more, they have more importance than the Son of God the only begotten of the Father. He says they're less than nothing and all the nations with them. My son is all that matters. And I love you enough to give him to save you. And if you reject that salvation, you don't deserve anything but hell. Amen. And so to say that Rome is the harlot because she killed 500,000 martyrs and Jerusalem is not the one that's guilty of all the blood of the saints and prophets like Jesus said that's abominable to the father and of course Satan designed that part of the end time scenario too it's an abomination one more in the whole scheme <clears throat> The nation of Israel will not build, again, the temple until the Lord comes. The Lord's going to build it. The Bible says so. The Jews know that. They believe it. Their Messiah is going to build the temple. And you see what happens if the Lord's the one that builds the temple after after the slaying of millions of people to bring peace to, the, to Israel and to the Middle East. And then he starts to build it. Even the Christians who are still here are going to say that's got to be the Antichrist. Uh, some of you probably are saying, well, it's obvious that Brother Marvin doesn't know that they're already building the furniture for the, for the temple. You know the saying, I've been there and done that? <laughs> and, and is there such a saying in Spanish? <laughs> you don't know one? Hmm? A little louder. 
Okay, whatever. <laughs> I have been to where they're building the furniture. I know basically who it is. I know why they're building the furniture. Life is hard in Israel. You, I'm sure if you told an Israeli this, they'd say, oh, well, that man who told you that doesn't know what he's talking about. I do know because I've added the numbers and I lived there. They give the government 90% of their salary. 90% of what they make goes to the government. Why? Because of defense. It's not because there's corruption. They have to spend that kind of money to stay alive as a nation. So in a family where there are four kids that are adults, mother, father, and four kids all work full time just to make ends meet, just to be able to cover their budget. They don't realize why. I mean, it's so obvious. I lived there. I mean, first of all, the government takes 63% off of your check directly. Then everything you buy, you spend 17% sales tax. So that puts you at um, 80%. Then gasoline, you're talking about, about $3 a gallon tax. Then tax on this and luxury tax on that. And you need this, but we have to tax it. It comes out to you lose about 90% of your paycheck. It's, it's horrific. And so Israel is paying a great price just to survive. But um, the Jews know that the Messiah will build their temple. It's not going, oh, I'll tell you what I, what I want to share. Is I forgot almost, senior moment. The reason they're building the furniture is evangelical Christians from the U.S. years ago went to Israel with millions of dollars and gathered up some uh, Jews who were observing Judaism and said, would you like to run this company because our, our, our Messiah and your Messiah cannot come until you rebuild the temple. He has to come. It's part of the end time truths. Uh, would you enjoy having a part? For Maybe you could be the director of the budget, millions of dollars. We have money without limit. Just build the furniture. Mm, I think I could do that. That's why they're building the furniture. It's a good business with the American evangelical world behind them. They have to do it because their Messiah and our Messiah can't come until they build the temple. There is not time to build the temple. And they won't. Jesus said, speaking of 
the great tribulation, that he will, or the days will be shortened. Shortened. Very soon, we are going to be at the end. Whether it's 2030, or whether Israel is conquered sooner than 2016, for the beginning of the last three and a half years. 2026, I'm sorry, what did I say? Oh, thank you. So, we might have less time than we think. But I can guarantee you what I said at the beginning of this seminar is true. Within a very short time, six years at the most, six and a half, everyone in this place will either be in heaven or in hell or in the midst of Armageddon. That's a, I can guarantee, we all have seen it, it's in the Bible. We're living in the end. We already know that my generation, Jesus said, my generation will not pass away until he comes. And we've seen what happens before he comes. And mainly, it's the conquest of Israel. And you know why? Because the Lord wants to turn the hearts of the righteous ones to him and save them. He's not being mean. The, the wicked Jews, I mean, what's that to him? They're going to hell. You understand? But he has his heart set on those who are righteous Jews, have a heart for God, love the God of Abraham. They're deceived, but they love the God of creation. That's what he's after. He's, he wants to save them. He's not interested in bringing judgment on them, but he, there is no other way. Imagine, after the Holocaust of six million Jews, well, how has Israel reacted ever since? Instead of saying, well, we need to humble ourselves, God is certainly dealing with us, and we must have rejected the Messiah. No, no, no. What they say is, never again. We're never going to let that happen again. And they built the arms they needed, the atomic bombs, the missiles. They have it all. So never again. And here they are sitting on all that equipment, and the Arabs are going to, the Muslims are going to attack, and they won't have a chance to defend themselves. This next time, that when it happens with all the nations around, as Jesus says it will. <clears throat> In Matthew 24, 22, speaking of the great tribulation, <clears throat> let me just mention one thing about hell. I already told you, it's eternal. It never ends. That means after 100 billion years in hell, eternity hasn't even begun. And imagine in hell, there is no passion satisfied ever. The passions are there, but there's no satisfaction. The needs are never met. Can you imagine? 
In hell, the people get infinitely more tired than any time on earth. But they can't sleep in a fire. There's no rest. Ever. Hunger? Never satisfied. And it gets worse and worse. Thirst, we know. The Lord Jesus tells us about a man in hell. All he wanted was one drop of water on his tongue for a little relief. There won't be any. No other desire. No other need will be met. No need. It's, it's absolute torture. And it is for the devil and his angels, not for you, for me. But if we reject his salvation, there is no hope. If we won't walk with him. Because it's not like he's proud and arrogant. You've got to walk with me or I'll kill you. No, no, no. He says, I am life. I am the source of life. Outside of me, there is only death. If you reject me, you're rejecting life and you're choosing death, eternal death. It's not his fault. It's not because he wants to hit you over the head. It's because there's no option if you walk away from the one who's life, the one who is light, the one who is peace, the one who is the bread of life, the one who is the water of life, the one who satisfies every single need of human, of human being, the one who put man in the garden of pleasure because he wants us to have a happy life. And of course, he doesn't, it, the Bible says he doesn't want to see anyone go to hell. But if you walk away from life, there's no other choice. You're going to be living with the devil and his angels forever and ever. And that's not my interpretation. That's what Jesus and Revelation clearly say over and over. But in Matthew 24, verse 22, it, speaking of the great tribulation, he just accept, said that there would be a tribulation like never before in, this, in verse 21. He said, and except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So, the great tribulation could be less than three and a half years. Almost certainly it will be, right? Or no? Does he mean what he says? The days will be shortened? I don't think he means he's going to speed up the earth's rotation and the day will only be of 10 hours instead of 24. I don't, I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he's saying the number of days will be lessened for the sake of the elect. Because the elect will be in it. And I mean, that alone tells you the church is here. If the, if the church were sitting on a cloud playing its, their harps, he wouldn't shorten the days for the elect's sake, would he? I mean, the whole idea is tragically 
absurd and, and against the Bible. And you know what it's based on? Emotion and human compassion. If you look at their best reasoning for a pre-tribulation rapture, in light of all the scriptures that make it clear it's not so, it's really a tragedy. It's absurd. It's an absurdity. One woman told me, Here, here's the latest proof that we won't be in the tribulation. My Lord, my heavenly husband is not a wife beater. He's not going to allow us to be here to be beaten. Oh, really? <laughs> I told her when I left, I said, well, when you're in the middle of the tribulation, just remember what I shared with you. Don't take the mark. <laughs>